Good morning, y'all. Oh, good. Good to see everybody today. Um, so uh, today we finish our little series called Come Home for Christmas. And we're going to finish the Revelation part of this series. That way, on Christmas Eve, I can preach about six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus and make everybody happy. <clears throat> so you're safe to invite your friends to Christmas Eve because I will not be talking about, you know, multiple headed dragons or pale white horses of death or anything. It'll be nice. It'll be Christmas Eve. It's going to be a relatively short message in the scheme of life. No one ever complains about that. Lots of music. Uh, it's going to be a thing where bring your kids in here. Uh, that is rarely a good idea, but on Christmas Eve, it's going to be fun. We're going to have all the kids in here, so it's going to be a family style. It's going to be a blast. Uh, so come ready, all right? Uh, there are people working hard on this. Uh, you've got a part to do, too. Um, so as I was reading the last two, man, these last two churches are tough. They, were, they really are tough. But I was, as I was reading these last two churches uh, in, in the book of Revelation, this commercial that I've seen kept coming into mind. And it's almost like this commercial sort of encapsulates what Jesus is talking about when he addresses these last two churches. So, so check this out. Show them this commercial. Today's sermon is brought to you by AT&T. <laughs> Just okay is not okay, right? I mean, do you want an okay surgeon? Like, have you, I've never seen, you know, on Facebook, people are like looking for recommendations. I've never seen looking for recommendations an okay surgeon. Like one that's decent. One that went to most of the years of school. All right, that's not what we want. I mean, there, there's another one of these commercials. It's about a tattoo artist, and that one's hilarious. If you hadn't seen that one, he's sitting in the chair, and the tattoo guy's like, um, yeah, I'm one of the tattoo guys in this city. And he goes, you mean one of the best? And he goes, yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> like, what? If you're getting a tattoo, do you want someone who's okay? I mean, do you, do you walk in and go, yeah, give me something that looks like prison ink. I don't care, you know, whatever. I mean, when you're looking for a mechanic, do you want okay? A plumber, do you want okay? If the job is important to you, I'm willing to bet okay or average is not what you're looking for. There are some jobs that are so important, we want someone who's giving 100% of their heart to the task at hand. Am I right? Like, I don't want an okay stylist. That's why I use Regina. She's fantastic. She is. We want the best, right? So as we're going through these last two churches, some of this sounds kind of harsh, but I want you to ask yourself, if the job was important to me, would I want someone who was just giving 50%? Because it's, it's the job we've been tasked with matters, and average and okay, just don't cut it. So with that said, Revelation 3.3, to the pastor of the church at Sardis, by the way, I got a Christmas card from one of you guys that said, to the angel at the Church of Grace. <laughs> Best card ever. <laughs> to the angel of the church in Sardis, right? 
These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. All right, so he's writing to this church. He says, I know the truth. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. And as I was reading this, I wondered, I wonder how they got their reputation for being alive. Maybe they had big crowds, and sometimes big crowds can hide big issues. It's like, so maybe that's how they got the reputation of being alive. But for some reason, people thought they were alive. But according to Jesus, who sees everything, he says, you're not alive, you're dead. It was like they had this big crowd, but nothing was going on. Nobody was sold out. Nobody was 100%. He said, so you have this reputation, but it's just not truth. The truth is that place was dead. When I read commentaries about the church at Sardis, they called it the lazy church. Because they just weren't doing anything. The church at Sardis had ceased to exist. They didn't matter in the world anymore. And you, you'll notice in, in this, there's no like critique of any great immorality. There were no Jezebel teachers. There were none of these things. Uh, but there's also no persecution coming against them. All the other churches are facing some kind of persecution. The church at Sardis faced no persecution because they weren't doing anything. And when Christians aren't doing anything, the enemy sits on a yacht drinking margaritas laughing while we do absolutely nothing. So there, there's nothing. The church, is, the church is dead. A church or a person or a people who are alive, we don't always fit in in the world. A church or a person or people who are alive, you can't necessarily go where you've always gone and do the things you've always done because there is something that must be different in you. And a church or a people who, who, are, who are alive, who are full of Christ, who are 100%, it's just not the same as it used to be. And it's not like everybody likes you everywhere you go. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this in Luke, and this is a great Bible verse, Luke 6, 26. Jesus says, woe to you. When everyone speaks well of you, I would add part B to that. Woe to you if no one speaks well of you either. But somewhere in the middle should be the life of a Christian. They're not always going to like us. There should be a little friction every now and then. The, the, the presence of God does not mean the elimination of all problems and all friction and all issues. Neither does the absence of God's presence mean you're full of problems. Occasionally, you can be full of the power and the presence of God and still face some serious issues because when you move forward, the world is coming against you. Guys, I believe this with all my heart. The, the biggest problem with the American church is not persecution because no one's really persecuting us. I mean, really? I mean, we, you know, we can't have Ten Commandments on the line. Eh, okay. No one's really persecuting. No one's coming in here and stealing our Bibles. We're not having to meet in secret. The problem with the American church is, is not a lack of, of learning or theology. We've all got access to the books. The, lack, the problem with the American church is we don't do anything. We're average. Average with our approach to worship. Average with our approach to people. Man, we get fired up about Trump. We get fired up about impeachments. But when it comes to the blood of Christ, eh, Sunday. Average. 
In Revelation 3, 2, this is the message. He says, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what time I will come to you. He says, wake up. Uh, Y'all see that? There's a little mark after wake up. Does anyone know what that is? Good. It's an exclamation mark. Do y'all remember the guy in the Bible who saw a burning bush and didn't use an egg? Y'all remember that story? He's like, there's a burning bush. But on this one, wake up. You know what that doesn't say? Wake up. Like when I'm waking up, wake up. It says, wake up. There's a difference in it. Wake up. Come on, wake up. It's almost like he's frustrated. Wake up. I died on a cross. I came to the earth. I set you free. I empowered you with my spirit. Wake up. I am tired of looking down at a church that's doing nothing. Wake up. And there's some, there's some fire in there. There's some passion. That's what exclamation points mean. Wake up. Wake up. I, I, I feel as I was writing this, God's biggest frustration with me is not when I'm in the midst of some big sin, because I know when I'm in the midst, there's repent and there's passion, there's sadness. And it's not when I'm on top of the mountain, because I know that. It's in the mundane of my life, where I'm really not doing anything terrible, but I'm certainly not sacrificing anything for the glory of God. And I get complacent, because there is no great sin, but there's also no great effort. And in those moments... I believe my God looks down on me and says, wake up, do something. And I'll be honest, and and I'm I'm talking to family today, but I can kind of understand that frustration because there are days when I'm up here and I'm laying out my heart on, on, on the message and we're reading the Bible and part of the room just looks bored. Like I want to be like Gladiator. Have I not entertained you? I mean, really? Like, we look bored. We're opening the word of God and we're bored? People checking their phones? What, are you a heart surgeon? People getting up, go get coffee. I'm like, what? I'm not done. I'm not done. Give me like 16 more minutes. And then the worship team, they come up and these people work and they practice and they lay it all on the line and we're going, that's not my song. You have breath. Wake up. It's not about singing your song. It's not about messages that make you happy. It's about we have breath, so wake up. Wake up. Like, look alive. We are standing, and we are breathing, and we are inhabited by the Holy Spirit of a living God, and Christ is coming, and we're about to celebrate his birthday. Can you imagine that we get to do this? I get to do this with the mistakes I've made and the choices I've made and the life I've lived. I get to stand up on this stage and celebrate the birth of God. Wake up. Wake up. That's why he uses an exclamation point. The grace. Revelation 3, 4. He says this, man. You have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their clothes. Thank goodness. (laughs) See, you... (laughs) Because you can imagine... Imagine what that would have been like. The truth is you couldn't go into the temple with sold clothes. And I believe that's still a good policy. 
Not all the Old Testament policies are bad. <laughs> Let's hold on to that one. <laughs> you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and the angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He says, man, there are a few of you who are awake. There are a few of you who who are prepared to stand in the presence of God. And for those people, amen, you're dressed in white. Your name is written on the book of life, and, and I will never be ashamed of you in front of my Father because you were not ashamed of my Father in front of your friends. And he said, for you, come on. But for the rest of you, wake up. Wake up. He says, be on watch. Be on watch. And I I promise you guys, the time to be on watch is not when you're caught in that sin that breaks your heart because it's in the middle. It's in the mundane middle of our everyday life. Be on watch. Be on watch against temptation. Be on watch against pride. Be on watch against greed. Be on watch for the movements of the Holy Spirit and move with them. Be on watch for opportunities to be meek and humble and kind. Be on watch for opportunities to bring peace. Be on watch for opportunities to introduce somebody to me. Be on watch. Wake up and watch. Average is not good enough for a church that belongs to Jesus Christ. It's time to come home. The next church, this is the last church we'll deal with, guys. The church at Laodicea. You hear how I pronounce that so eloquently? Laodicea. (laughs) I could twirl that if I wanted to. (laughs) Revelation 3.14. To the angel at the church at Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. God, he he just called himself the amen. Do you know what amen is? It's the exclamation point on every great statement of truth you've ever made. God, I am broken. Amen. And he's like, God, I need help. Amen. God, you are glorious. Amen. God, we lift our hands to you. Amen. God, this belongs to you. Amen. He is the end. He is the period. He is the exclamation point. He is the last word on every great praise the world has ever known. He is the amen. He is everything. And when you can introduce yourself like that, shoo, boy. You got it, man. I love it. Verse 15. I know your deeds. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich and I've required wealth and don't need a thing, but you don't realize that you're wretched, poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy gold from me, refined by fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put in your eyes, so you can see. This is the only church in in all the churches he talks to that he has nothing good to say about. There is no praise. It's only critique. And a little background on the church at Laodicea. They, uh, They were incredibly wealthy like one of the most wealthy churches in the whole region. Like, have y'all ever seen Hunger Games? Anybody raise your hand? Eh, you know the capital in Hunger Games? It's like that. Um, the rest of you go watch Hunger Games before next year. But it's this incredible wealthy city like Vegas or New York. It's one of those places. So they have all the money in the world. 
Not only that, they, they, this was a fashion center. So they had all the coolest clothes, right? This was Paris. This is Milan. This was New York. I mean, they had all the coolest clothes because they were a textile manufacturing place. So tons of money and incredible, beautiful clothes. And the third thing they had was pretty amazing for the time. They had actually invented a salve for eyes uh, that you could put in, in someone's eyes that would help them see. So they have all the money. They have all the clothes, and they have this medical breakthrough with this ointment that you can put in people's eyes that helps them. And to that city, Jesus says, you are naked, you are broke, and you are blind. It just got personal. He said, you got nothing because you don't have me. Indifference appears to be one of the things that God dislikes the most. Indifference, when people just don't care. And doesn't, he says, man, you're hot nor cold, I spit you out of my mouth. Doesn't that kind of make sense? Like, good food, foods that are really good, foods that are good for you, are probably served hot or cold, right? Do you know what served lukewarm? Junk food. <laughs> and if you would like a long explanation of why junk food is bad for you, my wife is on row one. <laughs> She'll happily share. <laughs> but junk food, and you eat enough junk food, what will you eventually do? Right? Eventually. And so he, said, he says, man, if you're neither hot nor cold, I just want to spit you out of my mouth. Because if you eat enough of that food that's bad for you, you eventually want to spit it out of your mouth. And so his saying makes sense. Not only that, in marriages, when people are fighting and they're fighting passionately, there's some hope for that marriage. Right, because they really hate each other. But there's some hope. When they're newlyweds and they're, oh, lovey, 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 lovey. There's some passion because they really love each other. The marriages that we worry about as those who do marital counseling are the marriages where the husband and wife no longer care what the other one thinks. They're indifferent. I don't, I don't care. I just don't care. Those marriages are very hard to resuscitate. Jesus is like, man, get passionate about something. Either love me or hate me. Be with me or be against me. Because the truth is, for those who are not committed to the cause of Christ, you are an obstacle to the cause of Christ. He said, love me and get with me or get out. And those are the options. And I wish it was different, but that's what he's saying here. And our problem is indifference. Indifference. Indifference to so many things. And he's like, where is the heart of my church? Where is the passion of my church? Well, how, how can you come and just sit and just not, not be passionate about this God who created us and who's sustaining us and who gave his life so that we might be free? It's like, church, I need passion. The amazing thing of this, it ends in grace. Verse 19, it says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you know why messages occasionally feel heavy or like our toes are being stepped on as we say? It's because God loves us. 
Rebuke doesn't mean punishment with God. It normally means enlightenment to the truth of what's really going on in your life. And so occasionally he rebukes us. He says, wake up. Occasionally he opens our eyes. Occasionally he reminds us of our need for him. Occasionally he says, average is it's just not enough. But I think the most grace-filled thing I've, I've read in all this stuff as I've gone through all the churches was that line where he said, but I stand at the door and I'm knocking. Like, let me in. Do you know what Jesus is doing to the church that he wants to spit out of his mouth? Let me in. Let me in. You know what Jesus is doing to the church that's become average, that's become entitled, that's become disengaged? He's standing at the door saying, let me in. I want in. He's not punishing the average. He's not punishing the lukewarm. He's not putting us in a corner. He's calling us closer because he understands that connected Christians are compliant Christians, and he learned that from Clarissa. She taught me that. She taught God that a long time ago. He's calling us in. But as the perfect gentleman, he's not kicking in your door. He's just knocking, saying, you don't have to be average or lukewarm. Let me in. So here's the challenge, guys, for this week, and I'm excited about this because some of you will take it. The challenge is this. As we prepare for Christmas Eve, no average and no lukewarm. 